Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Richest Men in Town podcast. I'm Mike Freeman, and along with my good friend and co-host, Tyler Gould, we're excited to welcome you to our little podcast project. Tyler and I are just a couple of middle-aged husbands and dads driven to live our best lives. We want to be better every day, so here we'll be sitting down with great people, not famous people, but great people that we admire, to learn their secret to living the rich life. Probably not the rich life you're thinking of. Our guests come in humbled and surprised at the invitation and hopefully leave feeling proud and grateful, realizing just how good they really have it. So pull up a chair, stay a while, and raise a glass with us as we toast our guests to the richest men in town. Mike Freeman, another episode of the richest men in town is on wax. We've we've just wrapped up the studio. The lights are dimming, but before we leave tonight, Let's just talk a little bit about our guest, Chris Smirnos. It was a treat tonight. Talk to me about Chris and, and what 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 did you love about tonight? Yeah, sometimes it's yours, sometimes it's mine, sometimes it's a stranger. Tonight, Chris is a friend of both of ours, and it comes out, right? I mean, it was just super powerful as I'm hanging out with him. I'm reminded of why I love this guy. Yeah. Uh, n- number one, he's he's uh he's a police officer, right? And police officers, that's a tough spot to be in. And he's happy. Yeah. He's faithful, right? He's doing the things that uh, would make, make that rich life happen. And, and I, I just admire that. Um, I think uh, he's an influence in the many roles. We talk about that in our time together, just like that, that idea of balancing what is expected in the different, uh, the different the roles and, and positions that we have in, in life. And um, I, I think he boils it down to, you got to care, you know? Yeah. hundred percent leadership and, and, and living, striving to be better is about caring, caring about ourselves and, and the kind of life we're living and caring about other people. And I, I love that. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. You asked him the question, you know, what is he afraid of? And he talks about letting people down and, and, you know, it's sometimes when you're talking to someone and they, they say that's their fear, a lot of times it's because they don't let people down. Right. And Chris is just one of those guys that just doesn't let people down. And, and we've both known Chris for a while. And, and, you know, I shared with you off the air that I feel like Chris is just that guy that is always there for people. And he's go, a super go to guy, go to guy. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was powerful tonight. And, you know, right out of the gate, you know, Chris pops on with us and and boy, we we started sprinting real quick. And uh, and we got well, it takes really us a little bit places. to get into Kmart days in Grass Valley. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> look, over the last couple episodes, we've really kind of hit we've hit pro wings, MCI phone cards and Kmart. Um, blue light specials, man. Blue light specials and the and a, an actual pizza pizza from Little Caesars, right? So, <laughs> yeah, he, things... <laughs> to to emphasize the importance of the hinge moment, and I really think that is one of our one of our things, right? We love this idea that lives cha- change; they turn on tiny hinges. Imagine where Chris Smirnos would be right now if he doesn't pull over the car and talk to the girl walking on the road. Yeah, I, you know, I just and you know, one of the things that was evident in that conversation too, in particular, is just his his ability to pinpoint key moments in his life and to be focused on remembering those key moments. Right? Um, I I love that. I think that Chris models the value of remembering. He models the value of perspective and the importance of having 
a, a good perspective on the good things and the difficult things in his life. And, uh, you know, that those principles that Chris lives are evident in Chris's everyday life, right? This conversation was just, um, as genuine as you could be. Yeah. And, and, and folks aren't going to see this, right. Cause it's after the tape, but, uh, when it's done, they want to be with him. Yeah. Like literally <laughs> on the video, when we cut it, wife and kids come out, he scores the leftover blizzard and they're hanging out on the back patio. Right. And it's like, that looks pretty rich right there. Yeah. I was like Norman Rockwell right there, man. Yeah. So I yeah, he's it. doing it right. He's doing it right. And uh, other people are watching and I love the fact that he, he doesn't want to be in that light. Right. He's not a limelight guy, but he just <laughs> he just exudes light. That's the yeah. problem, right? Yeah, that's, so. that's the problem. You're gonna <laughs> attract you're gonna attract folks asking yeah. some questions. Hey, talk to me about how you're living when yeah. he's living the way he's doing it. Mike, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you reaching out to Chris and bringing him on this show with us tonight. It was I had a blast. I loved every minute of it. Um I, I really hope that our listeners are taking a note trying to find something that is said that resonates with you and apply it, right? Put it to work and, and see if, if you can, if you can have the same result or a similar result as Chris. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think there's a couple, like we're yeah. trying to boil this thing down to one, one, maybe two. Chris might be, might be a two. I love the idea that he poses halfway through maybe in our conversation, just this idea of stopping every once in a while, and having an honest conversation about what's important. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What's important to, to me right now. And then looking around and saying, are my actions lined up with that? Yeah. That's powerful. I, that's powerful. I mean, if we can. If, that sounds if, like if, a homework assignment. Right. If that's the one thing that we take away, man, that's a great thing to take away. Um, listen, listen to the episode. Uh Absorb some of those words that Chris throws at you and, and see what happens in your life by listening to Chris Smirnos. Enjoy your time with Chris Smirnos on this episode of The Richest Men in Town. This podcast has given me delusions of grandeur with all things involving microphones. Oh, really? Okay. Well, tell me about this. I actually want to do high school play-by-play sports. <laughs> and Kelly's thinking... What are you talking about? You've never done that before. I'm like, A, I'm a sports expert, and B, I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and that got me thinking, right? What else are these these things like delusional that I think I can do that I've never even attempted to do, right? Oh, I, I'm like, yeah, I, that looks easy. I have a list. Like, honestly, you throw it at me. I'll be like, yeah, I could do that. That's not a problem. Um and that's why I'm sitting here as a 48 year old man with a torn ACL. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah, that's sort of, and I think people that are good at things make it look effortless. Yeah. 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 Right. Make it look like they're in slow motion. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I could do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like Luka um, Doncic looks chubby and slow. Uh, I, I do think I could take him when I, I watch mean, that guy. I'm like, <laughs> I could take that guy. Yeah. But every the world's greatest basketball players are stymied by that guy. So maybe he's maybe there's something about chubby and slow. Which then makes you feel like I could be in the NBA. <laughs> Is that what's going on? 
living living in delusion does lead to some slippery slope thinking like that you know yeah yeah absolutely it it, it yeah i was actually watching a video the other day of somebody squaring off it was like a I don't know, man. It looked it looked kind of like a rec league kind of thing, but it was I think it was Marshawn Lynch, and they were squaring off, no pads, and the guy <laughs> was like, he was like squared up, like he was gonna stop Marshawn, who's been <laughs> retired for how long? He ran through him like a Mack truck, man, and that guy was writhing around on the ground like <laughs> he just got shot. So. Yeah, you're uh, right. Delusion. You know, and there are some people, there are some careers that I've knocked. Jerome Bettis, the boss, in my mind is like, bro, you scored how many touchdowns from a yard in? Like I, anyone can do that. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to me, that just seemed like the hardest length of, to try to get through. I don't know. <laughs> but just get low, right? Get lower than the guy coming low. at you, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, man. But I, I do agree that there is some delusional thinking that would could lead some to some uh, some dangerous situations. So I need you to write me a letter of recommendation to my wife so I could I could try out for this uh, this thing. She works in the high school, right? And her AD is up there calling plays for freshman football, and I know he doesn't want to be there. And I'm like, put oh, me yeah. in, coach. Put me in. I'm ready to play. Yeah, I think you know you get some good uh, some good hype music going on, and you calling the game. Oh, it's ninety percent. It's ninety percent playlist. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, think I'm about actually. It. Like, I'm, I'm going to get to this annoying point where if Kelly doesn't let me when we go to these events, guess what? I'm going to start doing standing up, doing it. Just like, I'm just like going to start doing it where I'm sitting. Yeah, you're like that scene in Rudy where he's like standing up on the stool and the. You know, reciting the coach. <laughs> You're that guy. But you know, we do have I'm a mutual guy. we do have a mutual friend who at one point in time may still be, I don't know, was calling high school sports, our friend Cal Hunter. He was a he was a yeah, player. Yeah, player. yeah, yeah. So maybe there's an in you could just expand your network and not only Shasta, but you got the whole North. Yeah, but they, yeah, that's big time. You know what I mean? And maybe that's, that's really maybe where I need to land because honestly, play by play in the booth is limited to the audience in the stands. Yeah. No, cows, you need a, cows worldwide cows radio. Yeah. You need to be on a, on a, on a good AM station somewhere. so i'm gonna go home i'm gonna talk to my wife and i'm gonna go from like you know what talking to my life coach tyler gould mm -hmm. i've i need to 10x this thing kelly yes it's not nope. just about being in the stadium That's i right. need a platform yes. where i can be heard by the masses mike freeman delete your limitations let's go <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's take the high school play-by-play -play world. Hey, by to our listeners on the richest men in town, if this ambition of play-by-play -play for high school uh, blows up and I do go global, I, I will miss you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we will miss you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but we will we will make sure that we have uh, <laughs> that we play some of the audio evidence for our listeners that you yeah. are that you have hit the big time. That you are. <laughs> That you are being heard in Orland, Red Bluff. Oh, but AM can go internet. You know what I mean? That's true, man. That's true. Yeah, my friends in Ecuador right now that are checking in, richest men in town, season six. 
Yes. You might be able to catch me on a little side hustle. Yes. Freshman football. And, and we're talking American football for those of our friends in Ecuador. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we should clarify. Right? <laughs> but I can throw in a goal. <laughs> yes, you Every once in a while, you know what I mean? I can do yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that will have far-reaching positive impact. <laughs> I just lost him just now. Like I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hey, think it's a great idea. The richest, I it. the richest men in town is about bringing people together, right? Absolutely. Tonight's guest you haven't talked to in a little bit. It's been several years. Yeah, it has been several years. But we are uh, we're we're bringing in Chris Smirnos. I'm excited about this. I'm super excited. I haven't seen Chris or spoken with Chris in many years, but the time that I lived around Chris, he is one of, still remains one of my favorite people. Yeah, my, one of mine too. I actually have the opportunity to hang out with Chris from time to time. Uh, we served together in church and uh, actually professionally as well. He's part of the Reading Police Department, does some incredible things to help keep schools safe. So uh, we've had we've had all kinds of good conversations. But as I've connected with him and his life, his wife, his family, I'm watching from the outside. I think he's got something going on and I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time with him, lifting up the hood, as we say in the biz, right? And, yeah. and uh, asking him... Ask him a little bit about how he is the way he is and how that's working for him. I love it. Hey, fun fact. I've done ride-alongs with Chris Smirnos in his professional career as a police officer. In the front seat or the back seat? Eh, you know, we won't talk about <laughs> what. <laughs> Location doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> right? You're so many years removed, you just spin it how you want. We were in the same car. All right. <laughs> well, let's let him in and and uh, we'll just uh, let's catch up with Smirnos. I'm excited about this. How are you? I'm great, guys. How are you doing? Good. Fantastic. You, hey, you're among friends. Do you mind if we drop the lieutenant business? Uh, I'll let it slide for tonight. Yeah. How's that? I don't care if you, but I still want to be referred to as captain. I mean, that's just uh, <laughs> how it's going to go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, commandant something you gotta have yeah, a better title that's than right that. that's yeah. right yeah <laughs> well hey we were uh, we were reminiscing well tyler was fondly reminiscing of uh some ride-alongs he did with you back in the day and he would not yeah. confirm or deny whether it was the front seat or the back seat so we're gonna leave we're gonna leave that mystery but but that was that was back when uh chris mernos was was on the street probably chris yeah. mernos is now like talk to me a little bit about what you do for the reading police department so I so I'm a lieutenant, as you mentioned, with the Redding Police Department. Um, I'm part of the uh, the command staff for the senior leadership of the agency. I'm currently on loan for my department, and I'm serving as the director at Shascom 911. It's our regional 911 communication center where we field uh, 911 calls from most of Shasta County, and we dispatch for three law enforcement agencies, a fire department, and all the ambulances in Shasta County. Wow. And the city of Reading would love for the richest men in town to inform our listeners that uh, the 911 traffic in our area is is minimal. There is no there are no bad things that happen in Reading, and uh, no one ever calls you guys. And it's just a lot of playing solitaire and twiddling of the thumbs, right? It's a regular utopia up here for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, hey, Chris, let me let me reach out. So you and you and Tyler go way back. We've had we have an opportunity. We live, uh, we go to the same same church congregation. Um, I, I know you professionally. I know you personally. 
when I reach out to you and I'm like, hey, Tyler and I are talking about Chris Smirnos on The Richest Men in Town, what thoughts run through your head? Uh, I actually, uh, I was really excited about this. Um, I've listened to a bunch of your episodes. Uh, there's just some solid guys you've had, Toby Crawford, Brian Grow. I mean, men that I look up to and I think are, you know, some of my, you know, kind of personal heroes in a lot of ways. And so to be asked to join you guys in this capacity is, uh, you know, I don't want to get all, you know, mushy and call it an honor, but it was, uh, it was pretty neat when, when you guys reached out and said you wanted to chat with me. Um, that means that, you know, maybe I've got something, uh, something to say that you guys want to hear. hundred percent. Well, you can get I, mushy. You can get yeah, mushy because yeah. we are fact, honored we, to have you. We usually encourage our guests to get real mushy about their their time with us. I mean, it's just what we do, you know. Feel right, uh, yeah. a big virtual hug? Can we do that? That's oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. This is but the no, part of the program where we talk about a little bit about why we love our guests, Tyler. So yeah. as you as you go to the Chris Bruno's file in your brain, what uh, what comes to mind that might uh, make him RMIT material? I mean, I, look, I was telling my, I was telling you, Mike, I haven't seen Chris forever and I haven't really, we haven't really spoken much, but Chris is one of my favorite people and it always has been. And we've spent time in, in a police car together. We won't talk about front seat or back seat, right? That's just what it is. <laughs> but, uh, but, and, and, he, you know, we got to to serve alongside of each other and, and I just consider Chris a friend. And I look up to him and his family and and kind of what he stands for and, and who he is. So um, years removed from being in the same place, I still have the same affection that I did when I was in Reading uh, for Chris. So I'm I'm super excited about tonight because I feel like when when you brought up, hey, we should have Chris on the show, I thought, why haven't we yet? <laughs> right? It's just so I, I'm super excited, Chris, and I hope you you know that I the way that I feel, even though I probably uh, don't express it like I should uh, through emails, texts, or snail mail. Well, you know, there's a yeah, there's I, a river, right? There's a river that goes through this, and I can tell you, I can tell you, Tyler, that uh, Chris is an even better man than the man you you knew back back then. Uh, have, right? have no doubt. Have no doubt. Uh, when I hang out with Chris, uh, I I feel. I feel like he's a he's a guy striving to do the best that he can. And that energy is kind of contagious, right? When we get around people that are striving, it, it makes us want to maybe double down on our efforts to commit to 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 be better. And I I admire, but you know, by by their fruits they're known. And I and I have an opportunity to kind of be an outside observer on the Smyrna's family. Um, I know them through school, I know them through church, I just know them personally as um great kids, and great kids have a tendency to have some rich parents at home. Not <laughs> rich men in town style parents at home and so uh i'm yeah i'm excited to have, <laughs> i'm excited to have a couple a couple hours to to chat to chat with chris but hey chris before you jumped in tyler we're going to go somewhere where we've never gone and it's actually in our pre-show doc it's a question oh wow. but okay. i don't think we've asked I have this to read that like, thing every once in a while man I, I don't think we've asked this question in forever. So Chris, we're gonna we're gonna blow the dust off of one of these questions. Before you came on, I was talking about my delusion of being an all-world play-by-play announcer for high school sports. Uh, I I blamed the podcast. I blamed this mic in my face for me thinking I might be able to do this job. And everyone around me is like, "You're crazy. I don't think you'd be very good at that." But here's the question. Chris Mernos, if the notion of failure was not a risk, what would you go after or start doing right now? So I would want to be a bass player 
for a relatively famous, you know, band somewhere. I love uh, every time I'm listening to tunes and like a bass, a good bass track comes on, I'll kind of sit there and I'll like pretend like I know what I'm doing. And obviously this is where this hand would go. And this is what this <laughs> hand would be doing, you know, making the notes and everything else. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I was in band, uh, you know, a band geek, you know, through middle school and high school. And I, I enjoyed that. Um, but there's something about like when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I had a really crappy car. It was a, like a twice hand me down junk Honda civic. And all I could do was go out and buy the cheapest set of like 10 inch subs that I could find. I built some totally corny, like box out of like super thin plywood. I had an amp <laughs> wired up in the back. That was clearly a fire hazard. And I just like driving around and listening to like, you know, hard hitting bass, not like rap or anything like that, but just like a good, yeah. Like bass track. And so, and now, you know, I find myself, like I said, I'll just be kind of like just playing along if there's a good bass track or something on a song. And so, you know, I, I think if, if you told me like, Hey, you can do anything you want and you're going to be a total absolute roaring success. I would be like, I'm going to, I'm going to go play bass for, you know, for somebody and, uh, and just live it up. That's what I would do. I love that. I love that answer, man. I think, uh, you know, I, I too enjoy good music and and your description of the box and the, the subs. I, I just think like how many, like every teenage boy, right. When we were teenagers wired a stereo system for a car. Oh yeah. Like that's just what you did. I, mean, I, I had six by that. nines. I had six by nines in my doors that were too big. So I had like cardboard <laughs> around the edges. I mean, it was like, totally ghetto but it was uh it was mine pioneers and yeah i had a stereo (laughs) that was not actually in it was kind of hanging there so you yeah and the trunk the trunk rattles like oh yeah yeah Yeah. oh yeah license plate (laughs) flying off and all that so i can see Uh, it right i can see it right now like chris on the base a little seven nation army little boom 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 oh yeah man oh yeah (laughs) yeah Mike goes straight to Seven Nation Army because he thinks that's a good that that's a stadium song, right? And so when it Mike's is. doing play by play, he's it. feeling the Seven that's Nation it. Army. It's an anthem, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think another Jock way to jams, feel back, right? Jock jams, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> Guitar Hero, we all did that, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I I think like if I had to, if I had to take that question and peel it back in, you know, maybe a slightly more serious way. One of the things that I really enjoy is I enjoy like traveling and seeing other parts of this earth. Um, you know, my wife and I, we've gone to France a couple of times and apparently I look at uh, French real estate enough on Facebook that it keeps popping up on my feed, you know? So <laughs> if, if I knew I couldn't fail, I'd probably want to go, you know, live somewhere where I could learn maybe a new language, uh, learn a new culture, um, you know, learn to maybe appreciate things a little bit better. We've always really worked with our kids um, to, you know, we have this thing with our kids right now that when they turn 16, as long as they're, you know, getting good grades and making good choices, um, they're staying out of trouble. We've told them we will take them anywhere in the world they want to go. I mean, within, you know, relative, you know, limits, um, because we really want to teach our kids that there's more to this world than, you know, Redding, California or Shasta County. We want them to, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe I got a kid that wants to go live in New York city or wants to study abroad in a different country or wants to see, you know, there's so much, you know, culture and art and cuisine and all these things out there. Um, it's just, you know, taking a leap and actually going and living in another country like that would definitely be a, you know, that, that kind of be a big thing. So if you told me like, you can go live anywhere you want and you're going to, you're going to make it and things are going to work out, then I, I think that'd be pretty high on my list too. 
That's a that's great awesome. answer to that question, yeah. right? Because that's a huge risk. And we talk about we talk about the comforts of home, right? We talk about uh, uh, jumping out of that and into a like all in, not just visiting, but jumping in and living in a place where everything yeah. is different. I think that that uh, definitely connecting some some new neuron tracks in your brain. You, yeah. you, you get off the plane and you're smelling things you've never smelled before. You're 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 meeting people, and it, it, we've often talked in. In this context, we're fascinated, though, by the more the more that we get to know people that are different from us, we find out that we're all the same, right? And I think that, yeah. that that's that's comforting as well. Yep, for sure. Well, hey, so your serious, your kids can't talk to my kids because I promised my kid a trip like that when they produce a bachelor's degree, <laughs> <laughs> and I also said I will not pay for the spouse. So if you're married. Yeah, I, I promised my kids that uh, as soon as they have enough money saved up, they could go do that. So <laughs> and take yeah. you with them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and we we try to keep it. We try to keep it special. It's uh, the way we've done it is just mom, dad, and kids. So we don't make it a whole family thing. It's just time for us to spend, you know, with with that child, you know. And we there has to be kind of like a. It's not just like a go sit and I'll be like on a beach vacation. Like there has to be some sort of like they're studying the language or the history or the you know there there has to be some kind of educational component to it so but my uh my oldest uh she's 17 and a half now but she wanted to go to france uh for her her 16 trip as we call it so we went there uh, last year and we took her out there for about a week and we stayed in paris went out to the coast and saw this place called uh the mont saint michel which is like this monastery on this rock out in the middle of the ocean and just like medieval villages and it's just amazing how much you know like how young like our country is relative to you know, yeah. some of those uh, other places out there and she ate escargot and, you know, we had more crepes and baguettes than you could shake a stick at. And it was just, it was just fun and neat to be immersed in that culture, even if it's a short amount of time, but it's yeah. gotten her really excited about, you know, she's talking about, you know, serving a mission for our church. And she's like, man, I hope I get to go to France. And she's taken French for five years in school. And, and so it's just, I think it's had that effect of getting her really excited about the possibility of, you know, really being able to see the world and do something else. I love that. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I well, hey, you, you do have the misfortune, Chris, of jumping into uh, random thoughts of Tyler and Mike. And I, I've got one to share. I, I haven't even had a chance to run this by Tyler, but I've been thinking about these words, right? I've been, and, and this actually probably uh, lines up really well, Chris, with what you see on a day-to-day basis. But I've had a couple of experiences with other people's kids, right? If I were to write a autobiography, it'd probably be other people's kids. I've dedicated my professional life to other people's kids. Um, there's some joys that come from that. And there's some challenges because you don't have any agency when it comes to other people's kids, right? You don't have any control. Um, we've had, we've had our hands full professionally with some, with some challenging behavior on, on the part of other people's kids. And in fact, uh, two calls to 911 in the last two weeks. So, uh, we are keeping Chris's people busy at, at one of my schools, um, as we're having these conversations with families, uh, these words come to mind. They're the closing words of uh, the proclamation to the world on the family. And uh, I just want to I want to read these to you and get your thoughts as as two husbands and fathers it says this. Uh, we warn that individuals who violate covenants of chastity, who abuse spouse or offspring or who fail to fulfill family responsibilities will one day stand accountable before God. Further, we warn that the disintegration of the family will bring upon individuals, communities, and nations 
the calamities foretold by ancient and modern prophets. We call upon responsible citizens and officers of governments everywhere to promote those measures designed to maintain and strengthen the family as the fundamental unit of, of society. And that was delivered to the world by the prophet Gordon B. Hinckley and signed by the Quorum of the Twelve in the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I think like 1995. Yeah, yeah it's been right? a while. So as I read that, Chris, and you think about what you're seeing on a day-to-day basis, what what thoughts come to your mind? So, you know, you have an autobiography titled Other People's or Other Children's, you know, Other People's Kids. Mine's kind of titled like Other People's Problems um, because it's it's interesting, like, uh, you know, and, and I don't I don't think this is like an official statistic, but one of the things that we like to say in my, in my line of work is, you know, we spend 90% of our time dealing with the same 10% of uh you know of society people don't call the police when hey i just want to let you know i'm having a good day life's going great i don't have any problems right now i just wanted to see how you're doing you know people call us when they're at their worst um and i've seen and i've seen the effects of the disintegration of the family i've seen you know men and women that have you know wielded unrighteous dominion over their people that they're supposed to be caring for um and that they're you know they're responsible for and I've seen the effects of that. I've, you know, I've pulled kids out of backseats of cars where parents were driving drunk and crashed. Um, I've, you know, I've dealt with, you know, families where there's been significant amounts of abuse. Um, and it just, it breaks my heart because, you know, I was very fortunate. Uh, you know, I grew up in an intact household. My parents are still, they're still together. Um, and it's actually kind of sappy, you know, being around them sometimes. Um, and I had a great upbringing. And so I feel, uh, you know, sometimes that almost makes me feel like, uh, like, what did I do to deserve that? When I, you know, in my professional life, I've seen so much, you know, uh, discontent. Um, and so I've tried really hard, um, you know, within my family to like model a lot of the behavior that I got from my parents um, and treat, you know, my, my kids with, you know, respect, my wife with respect. And I've, you know, first to admit, I've been far from perfect in that. And I've had some really hard, you know, lessons that I've learned along that path. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the big things that kind of goes back to, you know, what you talked about, Mike was the, the fundamental aspect of the ability to choose, right? So we have the ability to choose for ourselves, what we're going to do. Are we going to be righteous, you know, in our families? Are we going to be righteous, you know, with those that we are, you know, that we have charge over. Um, and so, you know, I really, we've really impressed upon our kids, you know, a lot of the stuff comes down to choice. You know um, if you're having a bad day, it's totally okay to, to have the human emotion of, you know, being upset or being sad or being angry, but what you have control, what you have a choice over is, you know, how you react to that. And that's not something anybody can ever take away from you. Um, and I, I see people that make poor choices all the time. And it's very, it can be very disheartening because, you know, there's consequences to those poor choices and those consequences are really outlined, um, you know, big picture in, in what you were saying. Yeah. Tyler, any thoughts as you uh, as you as you think about those closing words of the family proclamation? I mean, I I agree with with everything that, that Chris has said. I just you know it's we live in a tough time, man, and and you know there's a lot of unfortunately there's a lot of obstacles not just uh, for kids but for parents too, you know, and and so you know when when I see you know some of these these kids and and parents in these situations. I mean, my heart 
goes out to them, you know, because um, sometimes they don't have a lot of agency, a lot of choices to be made there. Right. So they find themselves kind of stuck in this situation. So it's tough, man. And, and, you know, I think that, you, you know, as you're, as you're talking, Chris, I just couldn't help but think like, you know, what, what can we do to, to help, you know, um, create change? I, I mean, we talk a lot about compassion and mercy and, and just showing love. And I think that's the key, right? I mean, if we were to, to boil it down, like what can we do to make a difference in people's lives? Because the problems aren't going away, right? Problems have been there forever and they're, they'll continue to be there. Um, but I think if we, as a, as a group of people, we're a little more compassionate and merciful and kind. And we could, we could see some things. Maybe we could move the needle, you know, but my heart goes out to people who are in that, find themselves in that situation because a lot of times it's not a choice, especially for the, for the kids. It's not a choice that they made, you know, they find themselves there and you sort of become a product of your environment to a certain degree, right. Until you're taught different. So, um, you know, if that's, if that's the behavior, you know, and that's the that's the way that you've been trained, for lack of a better word. Then that's what you're going to put out. And you know, until there's a different model or a different um, choice presented, uh, you know that that's what's there. And it's unfortunate too because we kind of live in a time where, where you know, if you wanted to just tell someone that, hey, um, if we made some choices differently and maybe we we inserted God into some things. You know, and not even like a with a religious bent, right? We just said God, like something bigger. It's just a, it's almost taboo. You know, it's almost like, you know, just live and let live, and that's that's hard to, that's hard to be uh to be a party to. But yeah, it's really hard to, it's really hard to talk about permanent change for me without talking about faith. Yeah, right. Without without talking Abs- about absolutely. That idea that you no, know, you are a child of God, and you're part of a, you're, you're part of a plan, right? And and that agency is is huge. I I think one of the things that could help, uh, it helps me sometimes when I when I do look and there's overwhelming things coming at me, or uh, you know there there's some situations that uh, that I'm struggling with is this idea of small wins leading to big wins, um, because I think sometimes we're in this mess and it's like. You're trying to picture what can I do to get out of this mess, and it really could just be what can I do to get less in this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how can I yeah. climb out versus this monumental Herculean effort to get me out of my current circumstances? Whether they're generational, whether they're my choices, whether they're the choices of other people, we do have that that superpower of choice. But I think sometimes our perspective is like, what's the big win? How do I get out of here? And it's like the big win is actually the little win. Well, and and the good news is Mike, is that you see people every day who have, who have created that change for themselves, right? They find themselves in a different circumstance because they've, they've either had someone give them a hand up, right. Or they've, or they found a way to, uh, to to get themselves the sheer will to be in a better spot, so it's possible. So that's the that's the good news, right? And I think that that we should, you know, we really need to celebrate those people. And I would say too, like I know people who have been in that those positions in life at times, and I think when they find themselves in a better space, it usually leads somewhere in that journey. God has been inserted. 
right? So it's it's there and whatever you know some some may call call it god some may call it whatever right but i think that when people find themselves there a lot of times not every time but a lot of times they they find themselves connected to god on on some level right and so there's yeah. there's a ton of hope to be had but you know i i am a i'm a believer in the hope we talk about that a lot in this podcast you know nobody's lost you know forever for good change can always come about. So um, that's why I, I choose to beat that drum. I think one of the words that I really, you touched on it a little bit, Mike, but one of the words that I, that really means a lot to me is the word perspective. Um, because I think that it's very easy for us sometimes to only see kind of this limited view of what's right in front of your face. And sometimes you have to be able to step back. You know, uh, uh, one of the, one of the phrases I really like is, you know, when you're, you know, life is, life is full of, you know, mountains and valleys, right? Sometimes you're riding high and things are going great and you're up on top of the mountain and you can see, you know, everything and you can see like this great path laid in front of you. You can see where things are going. You got this great view and everything's hunky dory. And then as you move forward, you end up, you sometimes you find yourself down in this valley where things aren't going the way you wanted. Maybe your, your path got blocked or maybe things, you know, you had to deviate your course. And when you're down in that valley, it's hard to see outside those walls, right? It's hard to see up that, that view again of where you were. And so I think sometimes having, you know, when you are having difficulties and struggles and trials, I think sometimes you have to be able to put yourself back on top of that mountain and say, wait a sec, you know, there are, you know, there are good things on the horizon. There are good things coming. I just need to get up out of this little rut that I'm in so I can see that, um, you know, and, and, and like you said, sometimes it's that incremental change. Sometimes it's those little steps that will take you, you know, to, to the next place and to the next place until you're back up to where you want to be and you can see things. But when you're in that Valley and you have, and life's going not the way you wanted to, it can be really hard to take that step back and, and try to see the good and try to see the silver linings and some of those things. Um, you know, I see that all the time. I'm, I'm, I have, you know, leadership positions in a couple different areas of my life right now. And there's plenty of mistakes that I make as a leader and there's things that I go back and I wish I could do differently. And sometimes you get in that rut of, man, I really screwed up that interaction or I really could have, uh, you know, I, I could have handled this situation differently, but then, you know, trying to step back and say, you know what, this is going to be a learning experience for me. And next time something like this happens, I know how to handle it a little bit better and start seeing maybe the good and some of those negative things that happen. But I just, I love that word perspective. Um, I love, I just love the the concept of, you know, being able to see, you know, the bigger picture. Why are we here? You know, what is the purpose of this life? What are we trying to do and what are we trying to accomplish? Um, and, you know, oftentimes when I'm, you know, when I'm having some bad days, you know, taking that step back and trying to get my view back on top of that mountain a little bit really makes a big difference um, in keeping keeping me in check and, you know, and, and being able to move forward. I, I think that's a that's a necessary life skill. You know what I mean? Like good or bad, right? And when you're in a bad spot, you want to be able to step back and be like, okay, let me take a breath, assess what I'm doing, take a look around me and see what the reality of the situation is. But I think when you're when you're succeeding, I think the same skill applies, right? Like step back. Let me see where I'm at, what I've done, how, how I got here. You know, I think that that's just a skill. I love that you brought that up, Chris, because I think that's a life skill that, that allow, allows for change, right? Because I've been in those moments where I'm like, okay, this is something real crappy's happen happening. I'm just going to put my head down and shoulder and push through this thing. Right. And, and it just becomes this miserable grind 
And not saying if you step back and look at the whole thing, it's not going to be a miserable grind, but at least you have a better understanding of what this really is. Right. And I think that perspective changes everything. So I, I, I think agree. That there's a I cool, huge. As you're talking, Tyler, I think that there's a cool interplay there, right? Like when you're down memory of highs, memory of mountaintops, 100%, yeah. perpetuate your efforts to go get another one, right? When you're on top that zooming out and be like, Hey, Let's enjoy this. A because of what you just went through. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. B, it won't always be like this. So we talk about yeah. those rich moments. It's like, can we just look around right now and acknowledge the work, the grace, right? The tender mercies that led us to this. Yeah. And then when we're in the deep, can we step back, gain that perspective and say, can we acknowledge that this is a season? And there will be sunny days again because there have been right. Like the the late the, the the great coach Wooden from UCLA puts it all down. All of his success is tied to the word love and balance. Tyler and I push back on that balance and say Wooden doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll put down Wooden's balance and I'll pick up Chris Murnos's perspective because he yeah. does say right after he says the word balance, he says keeping things in perspective. And if that's what he means by balance, I can get behind that, right? And, and here's here's a cool thing, too. I think that if you find yourself in a position where you are in unable to step back and find perspective, it's good to have someone who can give you some perspective, right? Like to have someone who says, hey, <laughs> it's going to get better, right? But the last it's, thing, it's that's, counter, that's counterintuitive because the last thing you want to do is go find someone. Uh, right, 100%. you want to close the door, turn the lights off, nobody home, and just and just get buried. Right? right, and this is why I go with that Brian when we had Brian Bunker on the podcast, and he talked about being palms up. Palms I talk up. to my kids about that all the time that are out of the house. It's like let's be open, right? Let's let's be let's approach the world with our arms open, bringing people in, and and not have this closed off stance where we're just like. I'm miserable. I'm going to do it by myself. Right. And that's hard. You're right. It's super counterintuitive. There's times where people are like, Tyler, you need to, it's not that bad. And I just want to be like, shut up. It is bad. Right. Like <laughs> you don't get it, you know, but I think that that it's counterintuitive, but I think having someone who who can say to you, Hey, things will get better is, uh, is a big deal too. Right. It, it sort of cool. forces you to say, to reassess some things. So, well, and why not, uh, why not be that person too? You know, I think there's, you know, why not be that person that is in tune enough with the people that you care about and the people around you to be like, Hey, you know, you look like you're having a bad day or what's going on. What can we do? Yeah. Um, it's so easy, you know? And again, it's like in, in with, with my career, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes because you do get jaded. You get jaded into this sense of everybody out there is, you know, cause all we deal with is problems all day and everybody, you know, hates the cops and everybody wants to go, you know, do drugs or steal things or whatever, whatever the thing is, you know, and now the context for me is even a little bit different because, you know, I'm in, you know, I, I have some leadership roles and some management positions. So I, I deal with people, my people, you know, my employees often. Um, and so, and that, that has its own, you know, unique challenges. And, and, you know, I, I care deeply about the people that I work with, but they're still, you know, you still have to hold people accountable and you still have, there's just so many like different angles in it. But if you can be, you know, if you can be that person that is, you know, trying to build people up and trying to make people better, you know, when they're at their worst, then maybe that person's going to, you know, maybe when you're down, they're going to recognize what you did for them and they're going to come do that for you. And so it's kind of like that gift that keeps on giving. 
Um, but it can that, be hard. That to me is the key. Like when Tyler uses compassion, that is that's intentional. We've learned on this by talking to folks, uh, you know, on the podcast and talking to people about what makes that rich life. Rich lives are filled with compassion because compassion is doing something about it. Yeah. Right. We're not just feeling something. We're doing something about the things that we feel. It's intentional. It has to be intentional. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love it, man. I think, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, it's gotta be, it's different, right? I mean, being a police officer <laughs> because you're faced with it every day, you know, versus yeah. just kind of dealing with your own thing or with your kids or, or just, employees or people in general but being inundated how how do you how do you battle like how do you battle the not being just totally jaded like i could see where that would be uh you know like you know what look i'm writing this off man everybody's a you know whatever <laughs> people can't get their crap together so forget it you know what i mean other people's problems <laughs> That's other right. people's problems i uh like for me and i think that i think it takes a very you know, it takes a very specific type of person to be an effective police officer or a firefighter or a 911 dispatcher. And I don't mean this in any sort of condescending way, but those are just not jobs for everybody. Um, you know, you have to be able to, you know, you, you see things and the things that you deal with. I mean, like you deal with, you know, death and you deal with abuse and you deal with drugs and you deal with, I mean, just these things that are just, you know, like I said, I was very fortunate growing up. I wasn't surrounded by those things, um, you know, as, as a kid. But that that's the world that you live in. And so like for me, I've always had the ability to really like bifurcate things in my head. So things that I see and things that happen at work, I've always been really good at not taking those home in the sense that like I don't like ball it up and like, oh, you know, and let it get to me. And I try to have productive outlets. I mean, I used to smoke Tyler all the time at racquetball. Um, you know, we, uh, I, I have, I have, you know, things that I like to do. Sometimes it's even simple, like taking a look at him running a, his mouth. Look at him talking the trash. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Um, but no, it's sometimes you have to have. And so like for me, and I think a lot of, uh, I think we're, we're officers and firefighters and dispatchers and people in that industry get in trouble is when they don't have like a productive outlet, you know, they don't have, everything becomes about their job and their work. All their friends are coworkers and it's not, it, you know, it's great. You need to have friends in the business. It really is a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And I've, I've been through, I've been through fire and brimstone, you know, with my coworkers on different things and, you know, but you need to have friends that are outside of the business. You need to have, you know, like for me, like my, you know, my service in my church is really, really important for me because I surround myself with men and women that have nothing to do with law enforcement that are, you know, tax paying, good decision-making, you know, moral, ethical, sometimes, just sometimes most of the time, except for that, uh, <laughs> that, that Freeman guy, he's a little sketch, <laughs> right, yeah. but no, but you have to, you, you do, you have to surround yourself with people to help keep you grounded and you have to have positive outlets. Like sometimes it can be simple, like just, you know, just going, taking my wife and going, you know, for a walk through the neighborhood with the dog or something like that. That for me, is just an incredibly like centering and grounding experience because it gets me outside, get some fresh air. I can talk to my spouse about, you know, whatever's going on that day, let the dog, you know, run and play. And it just, it brings me back from the negativity and the downside. And so I think that, you know, 
you know, I, again, I think it comes back to choice. So I think I have a choice as to how I deal with those things. I can choose to get to me or I can choose to have some, um, some productive, you know, outlets for it. And I, w- when I see cops that, that have difficulties and they fail, they turn to things like alcohol, they turn to things like, you know, uh, adultery. Um, they turn to things like, uh, you know, all their friends, they, they eat, breathe and sleep, you know, police, they watch cop shows on their time off and all these other things. Then you, you got to step away. You got to step away and have your own identity. You know, I, you know, my identity is I'm a husband, I'm a father, you know, I'm a leader in my church and I'm a police officer. It's not, I'm a police officer and I do these other things. You know, my identity is centered on all these different aspects of my life. And you just have to really, again, perspective, you got to keep that perspective of, you know, what's really important. I've seen, you know, families, law enforcement families fall apart because people could not, um, you know, they had a hard time balancing the stress of the job with, you know, with everything else that they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. See, we, were, Mike, we were talking about, we were talking about this, this is idea. Why I love Chris though. Right. Yeah. It's like yeah. laying it down. And I love the idea of identity. And we talk about that a lot, you know, it's especially we've talked about it in the, in the context of um, knowing who we are on an eternal perspective. But I think if, we, if we take that down to just, what makes us who we are? Like, who, how do we identify ourselves? I love that that list is husband, father, right? You have all these other things and then the a police officer and, and you're still a, a great police officer. That's, you know what I mean? Like you're not sacrificing because you're putting some of these things first. In did fact, you want to have would, any, I would make an argument. It enhances it. Sorry, Mike. Did you want to have any rebuttal about the racquetball? Um, you know, I didn't argue in the first place because it, it it was pretty accurate. I, <laughs> it was pretty if, accurate. if I if I if I remember right, we were actually pretty evenly matched. I think it, we, we usually, were pretty evenly matched. Yeah, I think we usually it kind of came out that we uh for every every one that I won, you know, maybe like three quarters of a game Tyler would win. So it was yeah, yeah. it was pretty close. It was pretty close. <laughs> it was pretty so, close. It, it, those, yeah. yeah, I it can't. I can't. Workout. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but in our in in my work right now, we are talking about. A commitment to excellence has nothing to do with Al Davis. Has hey, nothing to do with baby. The... Let's go. Come on. The Ottawa are... was a Raider. Here we go. <laughs> One of the foundational principles that we're talking to our people about is a commitment to excellence and defining excellence. And some of the conversations that we're having uh, are exactly what Chris just just pointed out. And I think it's a foundation belief of of folks that we talk to on the richest men in town is that personal excellence cannot be sacrificed in our quest for any type of professional excellence. That actually, if we're looking to be professional, if we're looking to be excellent in roles, in other roles of our lives, it has to come from a core of a forged character of excellence. And that excellence is tested and tried over time with decisions and choices. And as we do those things, that excellence will happen the score will take care of itself right and I, I think it's just important that we get that right because if you don't get that right we're gonna we're gonna be in a world of hurt right i'm i'm all in on Deion Deion sanders and what he's doing in colorado all in on that guy i've heard him talk about his faith journey and he, it's an interesting story right he shares that look i had 500 pairs of shoes and i didn't know my next step I had 20 cars and I didn't know where I was going. 15,000 square foot home and I or house and I didn't have a home. Right? Because 
he didn't he didn't look for the the personal character he didn't look for the personal excellence and things started crumbling around him and then he turned to faith right and then he started working and rebuilding from the from the ground up as 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 a person who's trying to find who God is, right? And he talks about God calling collect and being afraid to pick up the phone because he knows what he knows the mess that he's in, right? And he knows the work that it's going to take to clean it up. But just a cool, cool story. But I love what Chris was saying. And I can tell you, as I'm hanging out with Chris in in this call, it's like, I want to be better. Right. I want to be better. And hopefully hopefully we'll do that. That idea of as you're talking, Mike, I'm just thinking, you know, you you brought up John Wooden and his, his comments about balance and, you know, and I, I, I have said probably on the record and maybe, you know, I'm inaccurate, but I said, you know, balance is a myth, but I do think that there is this, I think in my mind, I've felt like balance meant equal. Right. And I don't think that ne- that's necessarily the case. I think balance is just the ability to um, hold many things. Right. And uh, and and sometimes we like, we like Chris's roles, right? Like Chris's uh, role. Absolutely right. Exactly right. So I think that that in that sense, balance is attainable, right? Ba- balance is not attainable. Balance is the key, right? We we need to be a husband, we need to be a father, we need to be an employee, we need to be a a, a manager, we need right, we need to be all these things. Um, but and and it's possible, but I, I think that when we have the right, the things in the right order, st- things start to fall into place a little easier. So, yeah. I'm going to take that one step further on that balance comment. And I think balance is about questions. I think balance is asking the question, what is important to you? Yeah. Um, and, and then coming up with some priorities. I, one thing that I find is if I try to do, I have a, you know, I, I like being busy. Right. I like having projects and things to work on. I, I'm not one of those people that can just kind of sit around and do nothing. But I find that if I try to take on too many things, then everything starts to suffer. You know, yeah. I become rather than being good or great at a small, you know, these core things, I try to do too many things and I, and I find, you know, everything just becomes mediocre or falls through the cracks or whatever. And so I think balance is asking yourself the question, what is important to you? What is what are your priorities? And, and having an honest conversation with yourself about setting those and saying, you know, again, being a husband, that's a big, that's a big one of mine, you know, dedicating, uh, you know, time to just my wife, you know, trying to, trying to spend time just by ourselves going on a date nights, you know, talking to my kids, my, uh, my 17 year old, um, you know, she, she loves to drive a car kind of like her dad and almost every, every couple of nights she'll come to me and she'll go, Hey dad, let's go for a drive. And I will drop what I'm doing and I'm going to go sit in that car and we're going to go drive around and we just drive up nowhere. We drive nowhere, but we talk. Sometimes we don't, sometimes we sit in silence, but it's just spending that time, you know, Love with my that. kids talking to them when they're having difficulties, but making choices. Well, it, because it, I well, could be, it helps. When I could be doing Tesla, Tyler. It helps when it's a Tesla. It does. It does a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. Not going to lie. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> you know, but, but I could, I could be choosing to, I could be choosing to, you know, I got, I got, I got to slow emails for work. I got to do sitting yeah. at my kitchen table on my time off. I could be choosing to, you know, I, I want to watch the latest and greatest, you know, TV show or whatever else. And so I, I think yeah. that balance for me comes down to, uh, to asking yourself questions, what's important and then making choices as to what you're going to prioritize in your life. But I think yeah. the key that you just you just drilled in on is when you ask that question, 
I, I wrote it down, right? Honest conversation with yourself regarding the answers. Yeah. Yep. And I'll be honest with myself right here and with you guys. I struggle with that because there's what I want to do or what I want to be. But like, what am I doing right now is incongruent with what I want to be and what I want to be doing. And if I'm not honest about that gap, we got a problem. Well, I, right? I think too, Chris talks about uh, prioritizing and, and, and making choices. I immediately am thinking about removing debris from our lives. Right. And it's so easy to like, I was Mike, you and I were talking about this. We took a month off on the podcast recently because our kids were getting ready to go on missions and this, the podcast is a commitment, right? It's time. It's, it's throughout the week. We spend a lot of time working on this. And, and in that month, I found lots of things to fill that time, right? And some of them were good and some of them were just crappy filler, you know what I mean? So there's there really is and I think that that honest conversation, that self-assessment is key, right? To be able to sit back and say, "All right, what's the most important thing? Who are the most important people? And what am I and the things that I'm currently doing, does that match up with those things?" Right? right. Yeah. There's got to be some there has to be a you know, asking the question is the first step, but there has to be some action behind it. You got to, yeah. you got to do something. You got to ask the question and you got to say, right, cool. Now, what am I going to do to make good on what I need to do? Yeah. So what is almost like, what is important right now? And what am I doing right now? And like, check yourself and make a change. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay, let, can, can we, can we get into some of this, uh, some of this growing up? Right. You mentioned a little bit about your background and your family and, and growing up. But I before we do that, I it would be remiss for folks that are in struggles, right? For folks that do have some things going on. We mentioned we've mentioned um, you know, some of the things that Chris sees on a daily basis. And I, I just love this quote. This quote's on my phone right now. Many individuals look at their current family circumstances and wonder how they will be able to receive the the blessings that are promised to families sometimes. Uh, God, your heavenly father is aware of your concerns and he knows and loves your family. All families face challenges and none are perfect, but the gospel of Jesus Christ can heal and help each of us. As families faithfully strive to live the gospel, they can resolve misunderstandings, contentions, and challenges. All of the imperfections and injustices of this life can be overcome through the atonement of Jesus Christ. So when we think about choice, when we think about those things, it's really hard to do it alone. As we exercise choice and agency and line that up with faith, now we're cooking with gas and we can have those small wins lead to big ones. There's a, uh, there's a scripture that I come back to quite a bit. Um, I think you guys know exactly where I'm going with this, but it's uh it's one that has really, it's carried me through a lot of difficult moments in my life. And it's one that I share with people because I have conversations with people all the time about difficulties and, and I love it. It's found in uh, the book of Mormon. It's first Nephi chapter three, verse seven. And it says, uh, and it came to pass that I Nephi said unto my father, I will go and do the, the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, Save you shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. And the way that I distill that down is that I will never, ever 
have anything put on my plate that I'm not able to handle. Um, sometimes in the moment, it's hard to, again, you're in that valley and it's hard to see out the other side of the mountain and go, I, you know, Lord, I don't understand why I'm dealing with this right now. I don't understand the way out. But oftentimes when you get out on the other side and you look, you turn around and you look back at that valley you were in, you get to see, oh, okay, that's why I did that. That's why I had that setback. That's why that difficult thing happened to me because I needed to learn a lesson or I needed to, I needed to, to, to figure out this principle or make this decision. Um, you know, and, and I always come back to that. So I, I love that, that concept of, you know, making choices, but also knowing that, you know, we are being supported in, yeah. you know, when we're making good choices. We, we have, we have some pretty powerful allies on our side with it. Yeah. That was that. near and dear. Prepared. Yeah. yeah. That, that verse is near and dear to me. My boy on his, on his last email shared that, yep. um, you know, like For that real. idea, like I will go, I will do for I know. I think that that's a that's a powerful thing, right? And it's yep. sometimes you need outside people to remind you of that because sometimes it does seem insurmountable. Like that sounds really cute, Chris, but like you don't know my situation. You know what? God knows all the situations. But and- I think I think Mike that that goes to that back to that point of like, you know, if we can get to a place where we are able to, um step back and, and change our perspective. That's, that's powerful. But if we're not let, you know, surround ourselves with, with people that are, are willing to help us there. Right. I have this conversation with my youngest daughter all the time. It's like, she gets frustrated with homework and she's up in her room and I hear the frustration sometimes. So I walk in and I, you know, and it's like, what's going on? And she's like super frustrated. And I said, you know, when you start to get frustrated, just, open the door and call for me and I'll come up and we'll help. We can knock this out together. Right. So I, it's tough sometimes for people to, to do that. But I think that, that there, it's not a weakness. It's a power. If we're, if we're willing to reach out and ask somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris, you didn't wake up like the guy you are right now. So let's get into this process a little bit. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about growing up, right? Give me, give me paint a picture for me. Right. What does growing up look like? We this we love uh, we love George Bailey. We love his story. Right. Uh, It's a wonderful life. And it starts on a frozen pond. Talk to me about Chris Mernos when he's 12. Right. Where where are we at? What what does growing up look like? So I I I was born in the Bay Area, but my parents had the sense to get out of there when I was, I think, about second or third grade. So most of my core memories come from uh, this little small town called Grass Valley. Uh, you know, Grass Valley, Nevada City. That's that's where I grew up. That's where I say I grew up. Um, and I loved as a kid. I loved being outside. Um, I loved riding my bike. Uh, we had some really nice trails and rivers. It's a great, uh, you know, super small town. Uh, the biggest store in town was Kmart, and I was proud to work there. And I, uh, whoa, oh, okay. yeah, I, I was, I was, I was the cart boy. I was the. Uh, I, I got on the microphone from time to time and did the old blue light specials. Remember those? Okay, I so the, point of point of clarification for our younger audience, Kmart <laughs> was a large store similar to your Target, which is no longer in business. Well, and right? Blue Light yes. Special was a marketing genius. Oh yeah, it was. We, we yeah. would grab like we we'd go back to the back and find a box full of junk that we needed to get rid of, and we'd wheel it out front. We had this little cart that had a flashing blue light, and you get on the PA. Attention, Kmart shoppers! There's a Blue Light Special on a uh, you know men's socks four pack. 
99 cents and then it, all everybody come running up grab all their socks and off they go so yeah it was a good time a good you time. know last week we talked pro wings pro wings were probably available at payless shoe source and maybe some yeah. maybe kmart yeah payless and kmart work i think probably got their shoes from the same uh the same factory yeah. or two yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and did you have did you have slush puppies at kmart Oh yeah, uh, we that had is... a Little Caesars pizza station. Actually, that was pretty awesome. Oh, nice! <laughs> back in the back in the pizza pizza days, or what? That's I mean, delightful. Yeah, back, back in the back in the pizza pizza days. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good time. So, no, right, like sorry, I said, we digress. I, uh, let's get back on. Yeah, no. So I, uh, like I said, I, I had a really good childhood. My dad actually was uh, he was a, a prosecutor, so he was a lawyer, but he worked for like the government, and he uh, he worked to put bad people in jail. And so I, uh, I kind of was around cops. Um, you know, his, a lot of my dad's friends were police officers that he'd worked cases with and all that. And so I kind of had this affinity for law enforcement. And at the time I was a really, really nosy person. I just, I just always want to know what was going on. You know, you hear like a, a fire truck or police car go whizzing by with their lights on. I'd like, where are they going? I want to know what they're doing. And so that kind of like was the little, the little spark for me that got me interested, you know, kind of going down the law enforcement road. And then in my early 20s, I actually picked up a job as the 911 dispatcher for the local sheriff's office there. And so that was kind of neat. So I got to I got to have the experience of answering emergency calls and sending the cops places. But for me, I wanted to be on the other side of the radio. I wanted to be out there doing the work. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what pushed me you know, towards going to the police academy in, in my career. Uh, siblings? Uh, I have one sister. She's younger. Uh, she's actually, so it, it's kind of funny. So I'm actually the black sheep in my family. By being a police officer, because my dad's a lawyer and my sister's also an attorney. She's an immigration attorney out in Virginia. You guys so, got the law, law and order on. Nail, yeah, we got the law. Down. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> no, so she's she's got a, she's got two kids and lives out in Virginia, uh, out in the Roanoke area right now. Well, what I love about what I love about Chris uh, Tyler is uh, that faith journey. So, talk to me a little bit about what uh, what that faith journey looked like. Yeah, did you? Did you grow up a, a, a member of a church? Did you have a faith tradition? Talk to me a little bit about that uh, that process. And because I think it's weaved into maybe even how you meet your wife, right? It, it is. And so I know you guys go. like to talk about you like you guys like to talk about hinges. Let's go. So this, this is a big one for me. So all right. So growing up, uh, my parents were uh, they they're identified as Christian, um, and they you know we'd go to church. I actually remember. You know, sitting down and reading the Bible with my dad as I was a kid. Um, but it never like, uh, it never really clicked for me. Um, I, you know, I'd read the scriptures and I would, you know, appreciate some of the things that were said, but I just never, I, I just kind of like, was like, okay, that's just something, you know, people, whatever. I, I just, it just never like really, like, it just never really clicked with me. Um, and then, so my, my wife uh, is actually technically my ex-girlfriend. Although I don't think she likes it when I call her that. Um, so. My wife is my ex-girlfriend. Yeah, that yeah. wouldn't go over very well. Technically. Well, <laughs> truth be told. So we actually, so we grew up together. Uh, you know, we've known each other since like fourth grade. Uh, we had kind of the same friend circles growing up. Um, I don't know if she'll admit it, but I think she had a pretty good crush on me back in eighth grade. But that's, you know, for a different conversation. <laughs> so we actually, uh, so and so my wife actually grew up a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and she... Uh, you know, uh, so she was exposed to, you know, that kind of that learning, um, learning lessons and, uh, and, and, and the gospel truths and the book of Mormon and those sorts of things. And so that was, you know, she was one of the Mormons and I was, you know, I was not, 
Um, but I always thought she was pretty darn good looking. So, you know, uh, <laughs> the summer after high school, uh, we actually dated for a little bit. So again, cause like I said, we had the same friend circle. We were hanging out a lot and it's kind of like, uh, so, uh, you, you like me, well, I kind of like you and all right, well, you know, so <laughs> it was kind of a thing. Um, so we dated for that summer. Uh, she ended up going off to, uh, she went down to college down in San Luis Obispo. I stayed in town and we kind of went our separate ways. It wasn't like, you know, a bad breakup or anything like that, but it's just, you know, life kind of took us down some different paths. And so, and I, I stayed in town. That's about the time I was, you know, I was working as a dispatcher, going to the police academy, kind of doing my, kind of have my little trajectory of where I wanted to go. And, uh, you know, again, kind of talking about hinges. So about three years after uh, my wife and I, you know, we kind of went our separate ways. I was driving down the road. I guess heading to the store or the gym or something like that. And I saw my wife uh, walking down the side of the road and I looked over and I'm like, Oh, that's a, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's Julie. I, I, you know, I know her and huh, I wonder if she's single. I'm single right now, man. She still looks good. <laughs> so I made the decision in that moment to pull over and, uh, and go say hi. Um, like I said, it wasn't, you know, we didn't break up on bad terms we we're still friends. We still communicated somewhat, you know, when she was gone. And uh, that moment was probably the single biggest hinge, if you will, for me, because uh, I kind of did the, hey, look at me, you know, I'm heading to the gym in my cool car, you know, you want to hang out, you know, thinking I'm like some smooth Casanova and she's like rolling her eyes, but she was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So she hopped in and I drove her, you know, wherever she was going and uh, that kind of got us back in touch. And I remember as I started spending more and more time with her. I was like, I, I started getting really into her again. And so, but as, as life happened, she ended up having to go back to college down in San Luis Obispo. But I want I mean, to, true, I want to. True story. She's a rocket scientist, right? Yeah. Yeah. She went to Cal Poly for aerospace engineering. So she's definitely the, uh, she's definitely a smart one in, in our yeah. little pair here. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so she went back to school, um, but we stayed in touch. I ended up going down to visit her. And, you know, one thing led to another and we basically got back together. And I remember, uh, you know, kind of bringing this, bringing this back home to the faith side of it. Um, I had actually, uh, I had gone down to, I was going to school at Cal State Long Beach for a bit, working on my criminal justice degree. And through her college, she was actually doing an internship out on the East Coast for NASA. So we we're kind of doing like the long distance, you know, thing for a while. And I remember there was a specific uh, period of time. It was in October of uh, 2001. And I just had a lot of things going on in my life. I had some student loans, the paperwork got messed up. So I, something didn't happen right. And I didn't get the money. The money that I needed was being delayed. I had midterms. I had just a lot of stresses. My first time really being away from home. And I remember talking to her and I, cause she always seemed to just have everything together. You know, she was just cool as a cucumber and every, nothing seemed to phase her. And I remember talking to her and I said, how do you, how do you deal with things when life gets rough, when things are going crazy, how do you deal with things? And her response to me was that she said, you know what? I get down on my knees and I pray and I, I seek the guidance of my heavenly father. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I knew she was LDS and, you know, that was definitely, you know, uh, you know, on my mind in the relationship. She was never one to like be pushy, like, well, you got to go to church if you want to be with me, nothing like that. Um, but I remember that conversation and I remember like this kind of idea of, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. It works for her. 
you know what? I'm actually going to do this. I'm going to do this the right way. And so I remember getting down on my knees and I said, probably the first like real sincere prayer. You know, here I am, you know, 19, 20, how many years old in a dorm room at Cal state long beach on my knees, praying to my heavenly father to like, what do I do? Life is just crazy nuts right now. And I can't deal with this. And I remember very distinctly a physical feeling of a weight being lifted off my shoulders and this kind of like feeling that everything was going to be okay. And it wasn't like, I didn't hear the words, you know what I mean? I didn't hear like a, a voice from the cloud saying anything. It was just <laughs> this, this peace and this feeling that everything was going to be okay. And at that moment I knew, um, I knew I needed, I, I knew that I needed to know more um, and that mm. there was something to this. And so I remember there was an Institute at our school um, at Long Beach. And so I went down to the Institute and I walked inside and I said, Hey, I want to learn more about this church. I want to learn more about what you guys do. And so of course the missionaries were like, Oh yeah, great. This is awesome. You know? And, <laughs> um, and so I, uh, I, I, you know, I took back then the, the discussions that they had and everything else. And I still remember uh, the day I got baptized down in, in uh, LA in Long Beach. And I invited a bunch of my friends that were living in the area. Um, you know, and it was just, one of the happiest days of my life. And then, you know, and I know how happy that made, you know, my wife, um, you know, girlfriend, whatever at the time. Um, and from there, just kind of, it just went from there. Um, I was, I was all in, I was all in with the church. I was all in with, uh, I was, there's a singles ward down there. We do break the fast on Sundays. I'd go out with the missionaries, um, you know, and it's just, cause I, I never served a mission. You know, I was kind of a little bit older at that point. And I was all in. Um, and so we ended up, uh, I remember uh, she had was back in LA and there's the LA temple uh, is on right on sunset Boulevard. And it's this big, you know, big building sticking right out, you know, in the middle of this busy city. And we were there at Christmas time and the grounds of the temple were all just like beautiful and Christmas lights and all that. And I remember as we were walking around those temple grounds, I knew, I said to myself, like, I, I know this is who I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with. Um, so I proposed to her at the LA temple. Um, you know, we ended up getting married in, a, you know, in the Reno temple, um, you know, about a year later. And it's, you know, that, 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 that's how, that's how I got, I got into it. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the origin story. Was of, your uh, plan to propose that night? Um, I no, because I didn't have a ring. I didn't have, uh, I, any lo- of stuff. I love that. Honestly, yeah, come on. That. That it's is so like, great because now there's yeah. such a production, right? You just, yeah, like you got love photographers. And, yeah, I, you got love like, the, I love the idea of just feeling it and saying, shoot, I know this is the person. Shoot That's your shot. Like yeah. Let's go. I shot my shot and, and here we are. And it's, and, I, and I'll be honest, like there's been times where, you know, through, you know, through my, my years of, you know, membership in the church and growth where I've had my ups and downs. I've had the peaks and the valleys and I've had some pretty major, you know, trials and struggles at different points. Um, you know, but I, I always look back and, you know, when I'm, when I'm struggling with something or when things are hard, um, I always, I kind of, I, I always think back to that moment, um, you know, on my knees in my dorm room and how that felt. Um, I had a, uh, I had a blessing not too long ago by a good friend of mine who I might be talking to right now. And one of the things that he said in that blessing, it was for a, a church position that I, I now hold was remember this feeling. You know, remember this feeling, remember how this feels, um, because it was such a, a spiritual moment for me. And so, 
you know, I, I love that phrase because when, when life gets rough or things are kind of, you know, I'm, I'm wavering in my faith or my commitments. I remember back to, like I said, that, that night in the dorm room when I prayed and how I felt and there, there's no way I can, I can deny it, you know, through, through all the ups and downs, I come back to that. And that's, that's just a, you know, you talk about hinges pulling over when I saw a cute girl walking down the street. And then that, that night in my dorm room were definitely some, yeah. some big hinges in, in my life. Come on. Remember right? is an eternal principle, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's it. That's it, man. There's a reason why throughout the scriptures it's, it's that word is used hundreds of times, uh, because that's, that's how we march through those valleys. That's, uh, that's amazing, man. I think yeah, you cast your that. night or cast your, cast your mind on the night you called yeah. to me. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love that. Hey, uh, so seasons change, right? So when you're a young man and you, you, you get baptized, you have this all in feeling. I'm going to steal a page out of Morgan Jones playbook. Actually, her, she got married. Her last name is something different, but the all in podcast ends her episodes with uh, what does it mean for you to be all in? So Chris, now in life, when you say the phrase all in, what does that look like to be all in in the gospel? So I think, you know, I mean, even, you know, you know, gospel or outside, I think what to me, what that means is that you just have to care. Um, you know, I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of leadership conversations, um, you know, with people that I work with and in other contexts. And at, at its core, you just have to care. You have to care about the people that are around you. You have to care about what you do because if you care, like if you truly care, um, you know, I, I try really hard, like in my job right now, I try hard to make things better, you know, with my, the calling that I have in church, you know, my job is to help support my bishop. Um, and I care about him and I care about what his mission is and the, the burden that he has on his plate. And I try to lighten his load as much as I can. You just have to care because if you truly care at that foundational level, um, other things will naturally fall into place because you're going to want to be a better husband. You're going to want to be a better father, son, brother, sister, daughter, you know, uh, church member. You're going to want to be a better, you know, police officer or lieutenant or whatever, whatever, whatever's in your charge. And so like for me, stripping it away is you just have to care. You have to have that passion to, to care about those things that are important to you. And so for me, that phrase all in means that I am, I am caring about the things that are important to me. And out of that, out of that emotion of that, that action of caring is, you know, actual action and showing people that I care in my conversations with them, you know, in my, uh, you know, interactions and so forth. And so, and I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm far from perfect at that. But I think, I think the people, the people that I know that know you, if I were to ask them, that's what they'd say. Chris cares. Right. I think that Chris, Chris cares about making things better. And I think that people feel that. And that's the core of who you are, Chris. I mean, from as long, you know, from the first time I met you, that that's the feeling I've I've had from you. Well, we had a guest on the podcast that taught us about hope and the opposite of hope isn't despair. It's actually apathy, which is not caring. Yeah. Yeah. Apathy is that belief that nothing I do matters. So why care? Right. And that's, that's, that's the gravitational pull on every person that is, is alive right now. Right. There's a, there's a pull towards that and we got to fight that. And it can be hard. It can be hard when you're down in, you know, when you're down in those valleys um, to really to, to care. I mean, it can be hard to see like why, like you said, to have apathy comes easily um, at times, you know, at least it does for me. Well, it's the path of resistance, right? 
Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it's easy. It's easy to not. I don't care about that. That's not my problem. I'm not going to worry about that. Um, you know, but I think that, you know, one of the things that I also, I think is really important when it comes to this concept of that foundational, you know, that piece of caring is this idea of, you know, like I, I talk a lot about leadership and I talk a lot about, um, you know, how to be a good leader and coaching and mentoring and those different things. And I think that one of the traps I found myself in sometimes is this idea that, you know, the, this leadership and this caring and being a leader within your home or your work or whatever, it's not a place that you get to. You don't wake up one day and say to yourself, oh man, I'm just a great leader. I got all this leadership stuff figured out. It has to be a process. It has to be like lifelong learning and a journey. And again, if you really truly care about being a better person, then you will learn from your mistakes. You will have humility to admit when you make mistakes. Um, you'll be able to step back and go, yeah, you know that, that interaction I had last week? Yeah, I really screwed that up. But next time it happens, I'm going to be better about it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to let that happen. Um, you know, and so there has to be, you know, when you caring about others is really great, but you have to care about yourself too. You have to care about yourself enough to recognize, you know, what what do I need to do to be a better person? What do I need to do to be a better, you know, all the important things, husband, father, all of that list that we talked about, and so. Like, you know, coming back to that all in, all in is just, you have to have that passion. You have to have that drive and you just have to care. You just have to give a crap about, you know, about where you're at in your life and the things that are important to you. And if you do truly all those other pieces, you know, tend to, you know, tend to, tend to reveal themselves. I love the thought of going through life, looking for the chance to fix, looking for the chance to do it right the next time. Right. Like we mess, we mess this thing up. I've, I've, I've gone back and I've made it right. And I've promised the people, I've looked people in the eyes and I've told them the next time I'm given this chance, I'm not going to make this mistake again. And, and I love that thought of like, I'm going to go day to day. And when that opportunity presents itself, I'm going to recognize it, remember the promise and step into that space different. Right. I, I, that's, that's the beauty of life, right? And maybe you'd crush it and maybe you're you're right back flat on your back and it takes you a couple of times to yeah. to figure it out, right? But I think that that's the that's the fight worth fighting. But I I like that I that principle of caring. You know, to me there's like this idea of passion that's tied to that as as well, you know, and I think that um cuz it, it it's not always easy, you know? It's not always easy to care, but, uh, but I think that if, if we're, if we're in that mindset, yeah, I, I love that. I think it pushes you to a different, a different space, you know? Um, so that's, that's I awesome. find, uh, I find, uh, one of the things that really helps keep me grounded with, you know, with all of that, I, I love serving others. Um, and I think there is so much joy and happiness in providing service to others. I mean, you know, with, with my responsibilities I have in church right now, you know, with my, my career has been around, you know, it has revolved around serving other people, you know, that's, that's the job that I, I chose for myself, you know, way back when. And, you know, when I'm, I don't know, I, I have never had a time in my life where I'm having a horrible day and somebody needs some help and I go help them out. And I'm like, man, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. You know, that made me feel worse. Um, right. You know, I, I was having a pretty rough day uh, a week or two ago and I got a phone call um, from uh, from somebody I know through church. And he he said, Hey, there's a, it was actually a wife. And she said, my husband's in the hospital. He's really sick right now. 
and he could really use some company. He could really use the blessing. Um, and so me and another, uh, another gentleman that I know ended up going up to the hospital to provide that service. And it's kind of like that, uh, you know, my, my initial statement on the floor of my dorm room, that kind of that weight, you know, got lifted off my shoulders, at least for a little bit. It came back because of some things I had to deal with. Um, but, you know, when you're, you know, in that moment, when you're, you're providing that service to somebody, um, it really, it takes you back and, and helps keep you grounded, helps give you that perspective again. Yeah. Um, and it helps you remember, you know, the things that, you know, I'm grateful for. I'm in my mid forties. So if I sleep funny, I wake up and my back hurts now. And, you know, the, the <laughs> days of smoking Tyler racquetball are probably, you know, probably behind me. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's just like, I, I'm grateful for, you know, for what I do have. And it helps, you know, helps me see that. So one thing that I've, one thing that I've noticed is, uh, it's a family trait. You guys are, Freemans are last to show first to go, <laughs> right? When there's something going on, <laughs> we'll show up right when it's like, oh, cool. You guys are just cleaning up. Awesome. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll help you out and then we'll get out of here. Smyrnos are first one to show up, last one to leave. Like where does eh, that sometimes. come from? Where, yeah, where, sometimes. Where it's been noticed. Where does that come from? Um I, you know, with with the with the responsibility of the calling that I have in church right now, I'm I'm there early and I have to stay late anyways. Um, but I think it's just like I I don't know. And I'm not trying to sound, you know, I don't want this to be like, you know, sounding conceited or anything else, but like I said, I enjoy I enjoy providing service. I enjoy helping others because it helps me. It's just the, the feeling that you get when you're serving other people, you just, you know, and their reaction, their response. And sometimes you provide service and people aren't grateful for it, but you still provided it, you know? And so um, I just, I like being somebody that can be relied upon. Um, I like, I like kind of being like the go-to guy sometimes like, Hey, if Mike Freeman's having a bad day, and he needs somebody to talk to, you know, maybe I'm on your list, you know, maybe I'm on your list of people to, to check in with. Cause you know, you know that I'm going to be there for you or Tyler or whoever, you know, and I just, uh, I think I that, love, you know, and I, I, just, I, yeah, I love and I the to, idea. I love yeah, the idea and, and, of being a go-to guy. Right. I think the yeah. other day I heard somebody described as fearless. I'm like, Oh man, I like that too. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh man. So-and-so is fearless. I think go-to guy and fearless are are some pretty cool, pretty cool descript descriptions of people, um, especially when we're trying when we think about who we're trying to emulate, right? Like when we go to church and we talk about serving in church and we talk about these things, these are all things that we're doing uh, in our in our in our journey as as disciples of Jesus Christ. And how great would it be if we become like him in the process of this service right i can't I, think I, of a more go-to i think that's guy. i think that's the point <laughs> yeah i don't think i, think I, I can't point. think of a more go-to guy than the master right who yeah. who who's always there there is no bottom um there is no there is no place we can go to hide from from his love and i think it's just kind of cool that uh i i hang out with chris Murnos and i see the way you're doing things and i'm thinking yeah he's a go-to guy yeah, and I and I like to like one of the things that's important for me too is, you know, my wife and I when our kids were really little, we talk about you know we have these conversations about you know how like raising kids. I mean that that's a challenge, right? I mean that's a that, that's a that's a hard job if if any. And so, you know, you can't teach your kids 
every single scenario they're going to come across. You can't teach them, okay, if this happens, you do this. If that happens, you do that. You know, every single right and wrong. But you can teach them to make good choices. And so when they're faced with a unfamiliar situation, hopefully you've given them the foundation to make that good choice. And so I try to model that behavior so my kids see me arriving early. My kids see me leaving late. And they, you know, hopefully look up to me and say, you know what? That's how I want to be someday. I look at my father as a huge role model for me. And he's, he's somebody that I care, you know, I care deeply for. He was actually, you know, they live in Virginia uh, near my sister. My, my dad was in town uh, here the other day. So he came up and we hung out for a bit. Um, and I, I look up to him and I, I think I pattern a lot of my behaviors off what I saw him doing, you know? And so I just, uh, you know, I do it partly for myself. I do it for other people and I do it because I want, you know, my family and the people that are important to me seeing that's the way you're supposed to act. That's what you should be doing. So, so you marry Julie, right? Your story picks up. You're married. You marry Julie and some kids come out. Give, give me a shout out the names here. Let's make sure we represent them. And, and, uh, so yeah. this thing goes viral. So Allison's <laughs> my oldest, uh, she's 17 and a half. She's a senior. Uh, my son Ian is 14. He's a freshman. And then my youngest, her name's Marissa, and she's 13, and she's an eighth grader. Uh, you know, they all go to the same school here in town. And you you shared what you're hoping they're learning from you. What are they? What are they teaching you? Uh, uh, let's see. I think patience is probably a big one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably pretty universal with kids. Um, no, they're they're teaching me what it means to be like what it means to be good human beings. My wife and I kind of joke because my oldest, like I said, her and I, she just likes to, she'll literally dangle her keys like dad, let's go for a drive. And she just likes spending time with me. And, you know, she's at that age where she's just a neat human being to be around. Um, you know, we were actually driving last night and I was kind of venting to her about some difficulties that I was having to work. And so being able to talk to like my daughter who I held like in one hand, you know, when she was a baby and now she's this human being that's talking about, you know, going to college. Um, she's talking about serving a mission for her church. Um, you know, she's, she's talking about surrounding herself with people that are like-minded and that make the similar choices to her. And it just makes me think like, you know, you know, maybe all the, all the sleepless nights, all the hard work, um, you know, all the, uh, all the ups and downs, mountains and valleys of being a parent have paid off, you know, and I'm not just trying to single her out. My other kids are awesome too. Um, you know, but it's just, uh, it's just neat to see, my kids succeeding. And sometimes, you know, they have their failures. They have their moments where life isn't going according to plan or isn't going the way that they want. And so trying to help guide them and help them navigate, you know, through that, through that road. Um, one of the conversations I had with my youngest the other day. So there's a, a gentleman, a gentleman named Victor Frankel. I'm sure you guys are both familiar with him. Uh, there's a book that he wrote called man search for meaning. Um, I read it through some, uh, some uh, leaders uh, work leadership training I did. And I love that book so much because I love the idea and the concept of, you know, one of the things that nobody can ever, ever take away from you is your ability to choose. You know, and this is a guy who's in a concentration camp and his family and friends are like literally dying around him. And you just, I mean, I couldn't even fathom what that's like. And yet he maintained this attitude of, you know, the Nazis can take lots of stuff from me, but they can't take away my ability to choose for myself how I want to be. And so I, I, one of my kids was having a rough night the other night with some emotions. And I remember sitting down and having that conversation of, you know, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be angry, but you have total control and it's a choice and nobody can ever take that away from you, you know, over how you respond and how you react and the choice, the choices that you make and your attitude. 
And now it's kind of not a running joke, but I, whenever somebody's, you know, kind of having an off day, I'll say, okay, attitude. And they'll say, is a choice. We know, <laughs> um, but it's just something that we've really They're tried finishing to your sentences, them. right? Yeah. yeah. But we've tried to hammer that concept into them. And I think, you know, I think we're seeing the fruits of that in, you know, seeing them dealing with these difficulties and yet coming out the other side of it, maybe a little bit better, a little bit stronger for having gone through that. And, you know, trying, trying to guide human beings, like little human beings and little impressionable human beings through the, the world today with social media, you know, with all the influences and all the things that they have out there. I mean, that is a, you know, I, I know it's not for me and my wife. I mean, we're just, we're very grateful and we've had a lot of good support for it, but it's uh, I learned a lot from my kids. I learned what it's like to be, they taught me what it's like to really put somebody else's needs above my own, ahead of my own and what it's like to be humble, what it's like to have patience. Um, and a lot of those qualities, I think that we could all use a little more of sometimes. What what would you say, Chris, to, to a family that's just starting out, has young kids and they, they come to you for advice. What's the, what's the advice you give them? What's the curly one thing? Yeah. Right? What's the one thing? <laughs> the one thing, uh, make sure your sippy cups all have, have lids. Ah, uh, yeah. That's important. That is important. We've gone through many a couch of, because of that rule being broken. Like, lots of, lots of messes. <laughs> Uh, no, I think, I think the one thing that I would say is, you know, you need to set the example. Um, you know, kids are so perceptive. They see everything. They see every, every action, every word, everything that you do. And in their little world, when, you know, when mom and dad are their world, they're going to see that. They're going to think that's how, you know, that's how it is to act, you know, coming back to my job. It's I, I've seen generations. I've seen the dad that's always getting arrested. And then 10, 15 years later, now we're always arresting that kid. And then we're arresting that kid's kid. And then we're arresting that kid's kid or whatever. And it's just this cycle of, you know, they get that from the parents. So you're a product of your environment, you know, in a lot of ways. And so I would tell new parents, make sure that you model the behavior that you expect. You know, you can't do the the whole uh, you know, because I told you so. Yeah, uh, that doesn't work with kids. You know, you do have as I to say, like, not as I do, right? Yeah, do exactly. You you can't do that. You have to like, you know, when you find yourself getting frustrated, you have to be able to take a step back and go, okay, I'm going to choose to act a little bit differently here and show them, you know, what is appropriate and what is acceptable. And I think if you start that when they're little and when they're really really young, I think it really sets that foundation. Um, if they see and that becomes the norm. Um, if there's something else I could I could throw out there, um. Tell your kids that you love them. Tell your kids that you love them. Tell your kids that you care about them. You know, I'm not, I'm not like a trying to espouse that everybody gets a participation ribbon, you know, sort of thing, you know, but when they do good work, you have to have positive reinforcement. I mean, I know a lot of people, um, you know, that grew up in a generation, my, my dad's dad, um, you know, was one of those where, you know, you could count on one hand, probably the number of times that he told, you know, my dad and his siblings that he loved them. It just wasn't talked about, you know, back in the fifties and sixties and all that. You just didn't say things like that. Um, and it's important. I mean, as a, as a man, you have to be able to, to be vulnerable and tell your kids, I love you. I love you for who you are. I love you despite, you know, works and all, as you guys like to say, um, you know, you have to have that positive affirmation and when they screw up, you have to, you have to deal with it. You have to do it in a loving way. Um, and that can be hard. That can be hard at three o'clock in the morning when you got a screaming kid who's not going to sleep or whatever else. And, you know, but uh, again, that, that perspective of what you're trying to accomplish and, you know, how you're trying to mold these people into, you know, decent, productive, you know, faithful, law-abiding human beings. I mean, it, you got to start that when they're little. I'm curious, Chris. So 
You, you've been married for how many years now? Oh, I should know this right away. Yeah, this uh, is. A, we'll edit this, <laughs> man. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. No, actually, twenty. Uh, uh, this year, this December will be twenty-one. So we've been married for twenty years, and this December is twenty-one. Okay, so almost twenty-one years. You've got children that are in high school. Some are getting ready to launch, right? right. Um, you've got a career that's that's different. That's has a, a, a unique set of challenges. Um, what, what gives you hope these days? Um, I think the biggest things that gives me hope is my kids. Um, because I see, you know, I see them as a future, you know, I remember, you know, when I was a baby policeman, I looked up to my, my leaders, my sergeants and lieutenants, and I saw them as these like old grizzled wise, you know, know everything, you know, they, man, these guys know what they're talking about. Um, as these leaders. And now I'm sitting kind of in that spot where, you know, I have, you know, some leadership positions and I hope people look to me and go, man, that's that guy, you know, that that's kind of who I want to be like someday. And I look at my kids and I see the trajectory that they're on. And sometimes there's some course corrections in there, obviously, you know, but I, I see the general path that they're on and the direction that they're heading. And it, it gives me hope that, you know, when they become these leaders, people are going to look to them and they're going to say, I want to be like Allison Smirnos. That's somebody who I look up to. I, I wish I could be like Ian, you know, that guy has, that guy has his life together. That guy is, is doing it. I want to be like Marissa. Uh, she's just, a, she's just on fire with whatever she does. You know, uh, she's just an incredibly passionate human being. Um, you know, I, I, I see them and developing into these future leaders and I see them, you know, running government positions. I see them in church leadership positions. I, I see, you know, I see hope that, you know, the the family that my wife and I had created that, you know, these kids, these people that we've been put in charge of, these little human beings are going to be in positions where they're going to be, you know, have, you know, stewardship over their own families. They're going to be have stewardship over their own, you know, responsibilities and the positions that they're in. And that just, it's exciting. It's exciting to see them at this stage in their life, you know, like, like you said, like getting ready to launch, you know, and, and where that's, where that's going to lead. And, you know, sky's the limit. And that's coming back to why we take them out of these different places and why we try to give them these experiences is because we want them to see there's a big world out there and they really can do anything they want. Um, you know, as long as it's, as long as they're passionate about it and they care and they're doing the right things. I'm curious about how you would answer this, right? Because uh, very rarely do we talk to people that like wear Kevlar and, and guns every day, but uh, what are you afraid of? I've been thinking about that. One of the things that scares me the most is letting people down. Um, I, I have a hard time if I make a decision or if I, you know, have an interaction and that person walks away from that going, you know what, that person let me down. He didn't, he didn't do what he needed to do. He didn't do uh, what was the right thing. What I, what I think is the right thing to do. And that's hard because sometimes in leadership positions, you have to have difficult conversations with people. Um, you have to hold people accountable. And sometimes, you know, some people take it okay and some people don't. Um, but I, I, that worries me. And that's something that's always on my mind. Not because like I want people to like me, um, but like I said, I don't want to let people down. I don't want to let the people that I have charge over or that I care about. I don't want them, like I said, I don't want to let them down. I don't want them to, to come away from an interaction where, um, you know, they walk away thinking, man, I, I'm worse off for having that conversation or that, that interaction with Chris. Um, I, and, and I've I, had those experiences. So, and it's, it's, I love sucks. that answer, Chris. I, I think that for, you know, it's funny because 
gosh, it's been how long since I've been up in Reading? It's been a while, right? Um, but one of the things I loved about, you know, you and I had a chance to kind of serve together in, in a, some different capacities. And and I always felt like Chris is reliable, man. Like he's, he, you know, he says go he's going to do go something. To guy. He's a go-to guy. It's like he says he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Never thought twice about it. And the other thing I love is that you you enjoy. I, there's just a a happiness that 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 comes off of you, and and it's it's uh, you know it, it's palpable. So that's awesome, man. I think that I love I love that answer. I think that you're uh, you know letting people down is uh, is a fear for someone who makes lifting people up a priority. Right. And, and yeah. I could, I know that about you, that that's a priority for you. So that's awesome. Can you, uh, can you name something that you've learned in life the hard way? Um, I've learned in life the hard way that once, once words leave your mouth, you can't bring them back. You know what I mean? And so oh, yeah. I think that, uh, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm, I think we we're know, all guilty of that. We know no what you mean. You know yeah, exactly so I, what you mean. <laughs> and that's and that's and that's a hard one because, like, I, uh, you know, sometimes I, you know, sometimes I shoot from the hip a little bit um, when I have conversations with people, and I, I try to, I try to speak what's on my mind, and I try to do it in a way that I think is appropriate. But there's, there's been some interactions that I've had, um, you know, even recently, where it didn't come off the way that I wanted it to. Um, you know, and so then I, I try to reflect on those moments and try to say, okay, that obviously didn't work the way that I thought it was going to. So what went wrong? I saw that you going know, differently. Had, yeah, <laughs> I saw that going differently in my head. That wasn't quite, you know, how it went. And and I think the other thing that is is kind of interesting to me um, is that you know the more the more responsibilities that you have, um, so whether you know the higher up you go in an organization or you know within your family or within your church or with whatever the context is you know, the more prominence that you have, the bigger your rock is. And what I mean with that is like, I, I think of like, a, you know, like in the context, so if you have a police officer and they say something, right, they have a rock and they, that, that thought or that action or that thing that they said, they throw that rock into a lake and it has some ripples, you know, police officers are there in the public eye, you know, there's cameras everywhere. You have a cop that, you know, that says something bad um, to a citizen or whatever else. And yeah, that's going to cause some problems. Probably for that officer, you know, it may have some ripples to go out, you know, a little bit farther, depending on what it was. Um, sometimes those ripples can go really far. But every 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 rung that you go up in an organization, your rock becomes bigger. So, you know, we have different ranks. We're kind of we're a paramilitary, so you have some different ranks. So as an officer, you say something, it has an effect. You know, then now you're a corporal. You've been promoted. Now you're a supervisor and you have a crew of people that you're responsible for. Your rock becomes a little bit bigger. And so when you say something... Now that carries more weight because of that elevated position that you have. And now when you're a sergeant, you know, it, it takes even greater weight. Now you have a bigger rock. Hey, did you hear what the Sarge said? This is what the Sarge said. This is what the boss said. This is what the, you know, and, and that, and that thing that you said has carries a lot more weight. And then you become a Lieutenant and now you're part of the command staff in our organization. And now you are the agency and represent the department. So you go into a room and you say something off the cuff, you got a big rock and you just toss that rock into the pond. And those those ripples and you know they can be much bigger, have much bigger ramifications. You know, and now the you're the chief of police. About, the interesting thing about that is you think you're saying it is Chris. Yeah. Right? Or Mike or Tyler. 
but because of the rock, pe- it, it it's not you. You can't change it. You yeah, walk sometimes you're not cognizant of the rock that you're carrying. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, I'm just I, I Mike, and I'm being flippant. Yeah, I relate to the shooting from the hip kind of thing, and <laughs> you know, there's been times where that's uh, that's bit me right in the rear end. So yeah, yep, yeah, and and that's that was a hard lesson I had recently. Uh, you know, I as so I like I said, I'm I'm the director of the communication center, and so I'm I'm kind of the buck stops with me guy for all all things dispatch. You know, so I got a pretty big rock you know, within that dispatch center and, uh, sometimes shooting from the hip, um, or having a conversation, uh, you know, that I, I think is, you know, like I said, Chris to person, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And so I think, you know, being, being aware of that, um, and being aware that your words, you know, have power and the things that you say, you know, like I said, it's, it's kind of like a bullet leaving a gun. You know, we, we train our folks that once you, once you've made that decision to shoot and you pull that trigger, there's no take backs. There's no, uh, oh, shoot, you know, I didn't mean to do that. Sorry about that. Um, once, you know, once that, once, once you get past that point of no return, that it's gone it's and you're there. responsible for whatever, whatever happened. And that's no, the same with your words. words. Once those words are released. Yeah. You're yeah. not getting them. You're not getting them it's back. Hard, hard to clean that up. Yeah. Hey, I'm curious, yeah. Chris. So th- this, this space on this podcast is, is really about honoring people, you know, and, and for Mike and I, tonight's been about, honoring you, Chris. I mean, we thank the world of you and, and it's, uh, you know, it's been fun to kind of hear and, and be taught from you and learn from you tonight. And so that's been a lot of fun. Um, but you know, you've talked about Julie and her influence on you. You've talked about your dad. Are there, are there other people that you'd like to shout out in this, in this forum and, uh, recognize here on this podcast? Um, I, I have a lot of heroes in my life. Um, you know, I mean, not, not to get all, uh, you know, again, not mushy on you guys, but I, I really look up to Mike Freeman, um, as an example of, you know, kind of the, the person I'm trying to strive to be sometimes. Um, there's, there's a guy that I know, his name is Sean Sumption and he's somebody that I serve with and he is somebody that I admire to the ends of the earth. And I see his, uh, like I said, I know it's on his plate and I know what he has to deal with. And, and he's a man that I greatly look up to, uh, I mean, Physically too, because I'm kind of short, so I look up to most people. That's just how it is. <laughs> um, but no, I, and I look at like I look at my, uh, you know, in my work. Um, I have there's people that have been, you know, coaches and mentors, and that have guided me throughout my career. Um, and so I always try to like I, I, I don't know. It's kind of funny because, like, I I'm not like a, I don't try to be like a look at me kind of guy. I'm not somebody that I don't enjoy the limelight. Um, I don't enjoy, you know, the spotlight for things. I'd rather just kind of fade into the background do my thing. Um, and so to even be, uh, you know, to be mentioned in the same conversations as some of these people that I look up to is, is very humbling to me. Like I said, even you guys asked me to come, you know, the thought that I would have, you know, worthwhile things you guys want to hear from me. I mean, that means a lot to me. Um, cause like I said, this, this is not the, uh, I, I don't seek these things out, you know, generally. And so, um, but no, I, I look at people that I think are, you know, that, that I look up to that I know are, are trying to do their best. You know, they're trying to make the right choices. Um, they have that passion, kind of that foundation of caring that we talked about. Um, you know, I, I look at them and see how they interact with other people. And I know they are people that won't let me down. Um, and those are people that I, you know, that I put on a pedestal and that I, I really admire. And I, I try, you know, I try to be better and I try to be like those people. Um, oftentimes I fall short. Um, but those are, you know, like I said, my dad, my wife, those are all people that, you know, I admire to the ends of the earth. You know, Mike and Sean and those people I, I talked about. I mean, that's 
those are those are some of my personal heroes um, and people that I you know I strive to be like. Yeah, I well, love that. I'm touched by that, but make no mistake, there are people watching you. There are people watching you and your family and the way you're doing it, right? And the, and and you're doing it right. And and in a dark world, like we understand, the backdrop is getting a little darker these days. Uh, the idea of of letting light shine right and and doing it the right way for other people i th- i think that um it's interesting that you mentioned victor franco's man's search for meaning right because he teaches about this idea of of happiness if you're trying to chase it you'll never get it but when you lose yourself in the service of other people boom you find happiness falls right in your lap and sometimes when we're uh we're, we're just we're just the go-to guy and we're showing up and we're just trying to do it the right way um in the end, it turns out you look back and it's like, whoa, I kind of laid a laid a path for uh how to live a rich life. And and, and we love that. And we'd love for you to y- y- you've introduced the players in your life. Now paint us a picture, right? Give me a moment, Chris, when you're looking around and uh everything just feels rich, right? Maybe it's a place, maybe it's the people people you're with, maybe it's the French Riviera or something. <laughs> Talk to me about a moment when you look around and it's maybe one of those mountaintop moments where you mentally take a picture of like, this is what Rich is like. Um, we, uh, like I said, my, for me, I, it's, it's kind of like uh, those moments for me are often not like, like big grandiose, you know, moments. They're not these like big, you know, I'm not, I'm not standing you know, on a proverbial mountaintop, sometimes I'm in the middle of a valley and yet I, I have these experiences. Um, so like I said, my, my parents live in Virginia near my sister, but they still have a house out in California. So they come back from time to time to take care of things. And so my dad was in town and so he drove up from grass Valley and we all went out to dinner and we're, I'm sitting in the restaurant, I'm sitting in the booth and I've got my wife sitting on this side of me. I've got my dad sitting on this side of me. And I had all three of my kids, you know, sitting in, you know, the, the bench across the table from us. And we were just talking. We we're talking about life and what was going on. And, you know, I've got, you know, and in that moment, I kind of like, I had this like flash of like, this is pretty awesome. You know, here I am, you know, with my, my, my father who lives, you know, across the country. Here I am with my wife. And it's kind of rare nowadays for, all three of my kids to be available within the same window of time because of everything they have going on and my wife. And sometimes we go out and it's like me and like two of the kids or my wife and somebody else, or, you know, so to, to be there together as a family, just, just kind of just enjoying each other's company. Um, that means a lot. That means a lot to me. And, you know, sometimes when, you know, I'm, I'm having a rough time or I'm having a rough patch, like I said, the last, you know, I've kind of, you know, alluded to it a little bit, but the last couple of weeks I've been, I've had some rough things going on, you know, kind of in the work world right now. And, you know, to come home and know that I've got a roof over my head. Um, I have a job that provides for my family. I have, you know, I, I walked in the door today after kind of a rough day at work and everybody's laughing and joking and wanting to show me something on their phone. They found some, you know, some funny thing or whatever. And so it's like, you know what, it's, it's these moments where, you know, I just, I look back and sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I deserve, you know, to have the life that I have right now. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm darn grateful for it. I'm grateful for you know, my wife, and my kids. And I think just, you know, again, perspective, um, it's having that perspective and knowing that, you know, you can choose to be 
grateful for the things that you have, or you can choose to be, um, you know, longing for the things that you want. Um, and you can choose to see things different ways. And so I, I try to see things, you know, I'm typically a, a pretty glass half full kind of guy. Um, but rich moments for me are when I know that, um, you know, the choices I've made in my life have brought me to this point, um, you know, with a lot of help from, you know, a lot of people and from, you know, people upstairs. Um, but just knowing that, you know, I'm part of something bigger than myself, you know, with my family and seeing my kids launch and seeing, you know, my wife, uh, you know, excelling in what she's doing and seeing the people that work with me, you know, meeting their goals. Um, and just knowing that I had a part of that, I just, that's something that I hold near and dear is knowing that, you know, I've, I've helped people get to where they are. Um, you know, I don't take credit for the work that they do to get there, but just knowing that, you know, I, I had a hand in maybe helping somebody get to where they need to be is, you know, I, I that, that means a lot to me. So. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good answer. And in the spirit of, uh, of trying not to sound, uh, have repetition here. I, I got, I got to tell you, Chris, you know, this, this show is all about, is all about exploring richness, right? Exploring what, what that life looks like, exploring really kind of what the journey looks like. Right. And, and I hope that, you know, one one of the blessings for me in having conversations with you tonight and with our other guests that we've had on this on this podcast is that it's it's changed my perspective, it's improved my perspective, it's given me a different perspective, right? So, like, I I just I I love that 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 that's been a focal point of the conversation tonight, um, and I love the I love the exploration of of um, of a rich life. You know, and it's funny, you, you said, I don't like the limelight. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, that's exactly why we have you here, you know, because <laughs> you're that guy that doesn't like the limelight and people need to hear from the guy that doesn't like the limelight because you're doing something right. Um, you know, this show is, uh, is a you know, Mike Mike talked about It's Wonderful Life and, and George Bailey. And we love the irony of that, right? Because his life is in tatters. He's a mess. He doesn't want to live, right? He he goes through this. Police whole have a warrant, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he goes through this whole exploration, and he comes out on the other side, wanting to live, uh, and and recognizing all of the the great things in his life, even even in the midst of some really tough things. Um, and so, in, in that spirit, we ask our guests at the end of every episode the same question, and we we pose that question to you, Chris. What does it mean to you to be considered the richest man in town? It, it means to me that I'm trying my hardest every day to be better and to, and to be grateful for what I have. Um, you know, I, the, 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 the concepts and the ideas of perspective and choice are ones that I hold very, very dear to me and things that I talk with my kids about, um, you know, this, I look back at my life. My life is a blessing. Um, I was blessed with great parents. I was blessed with a great spouse, you know, great children. And I'm just so grateful for those things. I always had this thing in my head when I was kind of a kid, like, you know, I always, I think at one point in my life, I told myself, you know, if, if I could just make $50,000 a year, then I'll be totally happy forever. You know, cause that's just, you know, that's just money. That's just how much money I need. And I've, I've always told myself, like, I never want, I never wanted to be like financially like rich. I never wanted to have, money like as a status i've always wanted to be able to support my family and be comfortable and those sorts of things 
but for me, like rich is really like involves around the people that I surround myself with. And it, it, it has to do with the interactions that I have and just being grateful for what I have. Um, you know, and, and I think it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to see that when you're in those valleys. Um, for me, being rich is being able to stand up on those mountaintops and look out at everything and seeing what I have turn around, looking back and seeing, you know, um, what it's taken me to get where I'm at. Um, but that's what it means to have a rich life for me is just knowing that I am incredibly blessed, you know, with my family, my friends, and that I, uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good way to sum it up. I just, I'm just grateful, um, for everything that I have and a lot of things I don't think I deserve. Um, but I just, you know, be happy for what you have and live every day to try to be a little bit better. Why? Well, I- I commend you because what I love about this is you have excuses you could have played in life with the career that you've chosen. There are many, like we talked earlier about the jaded nature of your job. And sometimes you see everyone at their worst. You see, you see kind of what the worst of what humanity has to offer. And it could be really easy to become kind of, that half half full guy and i love i love the, the i love the two hours that we've been able to hang out here together right because we've smiled we've laughed and this idea that we can make choices with re, w- wherever people are at across our listener spectrum there's a choice to be made and that choice can help us be better and Waking up every day, striving to be better. I love that definition of, of, of a rich man, right? Rich, rich men or women wake up every day with a commitment like, hey, let's do something to be better. Love that. You're a rich man, Chris Mirnos. We lo- we, we've loved the time, man. I can't, I can't tell you how, uh, how grateful I am to be able to, uh, to spend some time with you tonight. This has been a real treat for me, and, and, I, and you know, I, can, I know I can speak for mike and that as well um we we love you we appreciate long you. overdue long yeah, overdue 100 when, when <laughs> like i said when your name was brought up i told mike what? done Why haven't we done this before like what, uh, what are we doing so um i'm just grateful for you man and uh, and make sure that you tell julie that we appreciate her and her sacrifice for giving us you for a couple hours i know that's a sacrifice for everybody so we appreciate you and and this we need to do this again soon. Yeah. I appreciate the offer and it's always great catching up. If you're ever in town, you want to go uh, knock out some racquetball. I'll let me know. And it's I'll, game I'll, on. I'll, dude. Show, I'll, I'll show you what's what again. Okay. Yeah, it's game <laughs> on for sure. <laughs> Pick up right down the left off. <laughs> I love it. Man. All the time, man. Yeah, dude. Well, Hey, you have a great we night. We love, we love you. We appreciate you. And we'll be talking real soon. All right. Thanks guys. My big brother George, the richest man in town. (laughs)